Okay, so <coughs> we are a week before, one second here, back again. We are a week before Rosh Hashanah, <coughs> and I thought it therefore appropriate to devote our remarks this evening to the special days ahead. <coughs> and we'll begin, as we often do when it comes to the Moadim, by discussing a matter of halacha before we get into more uh, thematic material. Although, as we'll see, when it comes to Rosh Hashanah, the halachas of the day, the mitzvahs of the day, and the themes of the day are very much intertwined. So, of course, when we think of the mitzvahs of Rosh Hashanah, the one uh, mitzvah at the center of the day is the shofar. And that is the, the mitzvah from the Torah that uh, takes the, 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 the center, center stage on Rosh Hashanah. The source of the mitzvah is in Parshas Pinchas, where the Torah says concerning Rosh Hashanah, Yom Teruah Yehiyeh Lachem. It should be for you a day of Teruah. There's still quite a bit more that goes into the mitzvah of Shofar, after all, uh, there's not just the trua. The other aspects of the uh, shofar blowing are derived through Medrash Halacha, but either way, the, the sources in Parshas Pinchas, Yom Teruah Yelache. And the, probably the most fundamental question with regards to the mitz, mitzvah of shofar is, what is the mitzvah? Because as we know, there are two components to it. Whoever blows the shofar, blows the shofar. And whoever's listening, hears the shofar. The question is, which is the mitzvah? Is the mitzvah to blow the shofar or the mitzvah to hear the shofar? We typically, in conversationally, whichever one we happen to be doing, we say that's what we'll do. And we say that's what the mitzvah is. I'm going to hear shofar or so-and-so is blowing the shofar. But... To blow or to hear? That is the question. And this question is raised and discussed by the Rambam uh, in a number of places. Of course, uh, first and foremost, in the Mishnah Torah, in the very beginning of Hilchah Shofar, Rambam says quite explicitly, mitzvahs asay lishmoa kol shofar. The mitzvah is to hear. Of course, if you don't blow, there's nothing to hear. But the mitzvah is in the hearing. And likewise, not only in the halachas of Shofar and Mishnah Torah, but also in Sefer HaMitzvah, as we've just had occasion to discuss a number of times over the past few weeks. The Rambam has his Sefer HaMitzvah, where he gives a brief presentation of all of the 613 mitzvahs, discussing their basic parameters, and there too, says Rambam in Sefer HaMitzvahs, the mitzvah is to hear the sound of the shofar. And had things stayed like that, the Rambam would have no occasion to discuss this matter anywhere else. After all, his organized works regarding mitzvahs are Mishnah Torah and Sefer HaMitzvahs. However, the Rambam ends up discussing this matter yet a third time. And the reason is because someone wrote to ask him a question. The Rambam was a rabbi, so his people are going to ask him questions. Which means that we have, in addition to the works that he set out, 
we have Shalos and Shuvas, a number of collections, in fact, of Shalos and Shuvas of his responsa. And in the collection known as Pe'er Hador, the question was put to the Rambam, uh, interestingly, not so much what the mitzvah is, what should the bracha be? This is before organized sidurim, and kehillas sometimes had a shaila about these things. What, <coughs> what should the bracha be before the mitzvah of shofar? Should it be lishmoa, shofar, or should it be more about the tekiah, al tekiah shofar? That's the question. And here the Rambam goes into the matter in a, a little bit more detail. He begins by saying that the, uh, emphasizing the bracha should be lishmoa kol shofar, which is exactly the bracha that we make. But, but in addition to merely stating that the mitzvah is to hear the shofar, <coughs> Rambam goes further. Rambam says, I will prove it to you that the mitzvah must be to hear the shofar in two ways. Firstly, says Rambam, it is well known that if a person blew the shofar but didn't hear the sound, let's say they blew into some type of uh, uh, space where no sound came out, they have not fulfilled the mitzvah. Now they've blown the shofar, but they didn't hear and the halacha states they have not fulfilled the mitzvah. That basically tells you that what the blowing is, it's producing the sound. But if you just do that, but you don't hear it, you haven't done the mitzvah at all. <coughs> and that's why there's such insistence to hear the actual sound of the shofar, not, as the Mishnah des- describes, the a sound of an echo, if it's underground. This is a, a question that some kehillas have, even if they're not... Uh, uh, in hiding, many shuls, especially here in Israel, they always begin, uh, I like to say, as underground movements because they start in the, in the basement of somewhere and it's actually underground, which leads to interesting shyness when it comes to, to chauffeur for a person who would be standing outside uh, wherever it may be. But in any case, <clears throat> so the fact that you have not fulfilled the mitzvah without hearing tells you that the mitzvah is the hearing. The second point, says Ramba is that if the mitzvah were, be, were to be to blow the shofar, then everyone would have to blow the shofar for themselves. Because you can't have someone do mitzvahs for you. If the mitzvah is to blow the shofar, everyone has to blow the shofar. In the same way that if the mitzvah is uh, arba minim, to wave the lulav, so then you have to do it yourself. You can't have someone to do it for you. It is only if the mitzvah is to hear the shofar, says Rambam. So that the one who blows, he is merely providing others with the sound of the shofar. It's as if someone brought you a lulav, but now you do the mitzvah by shaking it. So someone's brought you a shofar sound through blowing. Now you do the mitzvah by hearing it. And therefore, for these reasons, which we've given in synopsized form, but I, but I think they're very clear, says Rambam, you can see the mitzvah is to hear, and that is why the nusach of the bracha before shofar is lishmoa kol shofar. Now, we should know <coughs> that this position of Rambam is not unanimously accepted, and it's always interesting because by the time we come along, 
everyone does the same thing. You'd never imagine that anyone ever said any differently. It's true in many things, but <coughs> the Rambam's position is actually disputed by another great personality among his contemporaries, and that is none other than Rabbeinu Tam. And Rabbeinu Tam, who's well known for his individual uh, opinions with regards to many things, also has what to say with regards to shofar. And according to Rabbeinu Tam, the mitzvah of shofar is to blow the shofar. Now, should we ask, well, what about the bracha? After all, the bracha is l'shmoa kal shofar. How can you, Rabbeinu Tam, say that the mitzvah is to blow the shofar when everyone knows that the bracha is to hear the shofar? Well, everyone doesn't include Rabbeinu Tam. Rabbeinu Tam's position is that the correct nusach for the bracha should be altkias shofar. And that's one of those things that if you're Rabbeinu Tam, you can say that. Most of us would actually have to give up at that point. But Rabbeinu Tam actually insists that the correct nusach of the bracha is not lishmoa kol shofar. It's litkoa shofar or altkias shofar. So that's a very difficult machlokas to to reduce or, or, or to put ourselves in between the two sides. How would Rabbeinu Tam respond to Rambam's proofs that the mitzvah is to hear the shofar that we may yet have to see? But I would like to uh, take an interlude of sorts here and refer to a very novel approach to this whole position, which is found in a, one of the later Rishonim, the Ritva, Ritva Rabbeinu Yom Tov of Seville, and the Ritva, in the end of Masechus Rosh Hashanah, <coughs> he sides, we would say, with the Rambam. The mitzvah is to hear the shofar. The bracha is lishmoa kol shofar. But on what basis does he say this? Nothing that's been said so far. Says Ritva, if you want to know why the mitzvah is to hear the shofar, think about what, he, what the shofar is all about. What's the goal of the shofar? It's to arouse people to thoughts of tshuva. That's what the shofar's about. Well then, says Ritva, if the purpose or the goal of the mitzvah of shofar is to arouse people to do tshuva, well, that happens through them hearing, not through them blowing. It's obvious that the, the the essential mitzvah is to hear the sound. And that is why he sides with the Rambam that the bracha is lishmoa kol shofar, because if you don't hear, then tshuva not, is not going to happen. Now what's so noteworthy about this comment of the Ritva is that he has taken, he seems to be engaging on what we call tameha mitzvahs. Tameha mitzvahs, or, 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 or time of the kra, to, to get involved in in invoking, first of all, investigating the reason for the mitzvah and then invoking the reason for the mitzvah in order to tell you something about how the mitzvah itself is done. And that is something, (coughs) apparently, that we generally do not do. We don't say, oh, well, what's the mitzvah all about and therefore it should be performed in a certain way or uh, should be shaped in a certain way. But the ritva has very delicately taken what he sees very clearly as the reason for the mitzvah it, and, and shows you that that's therefore what the, the practical essence 
of the mitzvah is. If the goal is to arouse people to tshuva, it will then necessarily mean that the focus of the mitzvah is hearing the, hearing the sound, not producing the sound. I, I think it's in place to say that uh, one could phrase it this way, the ritva is like the Rambam, only more so. He is more like the Rambam than the Rambam himself. And the reason I say that is because <coughs> I think we're all quite familiar with uh, the idea that hearing the shofar and sounding the shofar, it's kind of like an alarm to wake people up. We're familiar with that from the Rambam. He's probably the most famous person to say it. Wake up those who are sleeping from their sleep, etc. and so forth. Except what? As much as the Rambam says that, he explicitly de-emphasizes it as being a central part of what the mitzvah is. And by that I mean the following. <coughs> the Rambam does not discuss the reason for shofar in Hilcha Shofar. In Hilcha Shofar, all he tells you is, how to blow the shofar, or how to hear the shofar. In Hilchos Tshuva, in chapter 3, then when the Rambam, in the context of talking about Tshuva, he says the following. Even though blowing the mitzvah is a scriptural decree, Gezeira Sakosov, and by Gezeira Sakosov he means it's a mitzvah that we do because that's what the mitzvah is, no questions asked, even though it's a Gezerah Sarkosov, <coughs> nevertheless, says Rambam, Remez Yeshbo. There is an illusion in the mitzvah. I mean, it is an alarm sound. You hear the shofar, you, pay, you take notice. And therefore, says Rambam, it's to rouse people from their, their slumber, which they go through life typically with, with their eyes wide open in this slumber, and, and, and cause them to to rethink their ways. So what's interesting is, uh, the way before the Ritva, the Rambam associated this idea of, of a wake-up call for the mitzvah of Shofar. But he deliberately prefaced by saying, but we do the mitzvah because that's what the mitzvah is. It does have this remez. And that's why we say that the Ritva, so to speak, he's more like the Rambam than the Rambam in that he does more with this reason for the mitzvah, allowing it to then feed back in to understand how the mitzvah works, that the, that the focus of the mitzvah is the hearing and not the blowing. Okay, but back to business. Because the Rambam <coughs> has stated that the, the mitzvah of shofar is to hear, when you blow the shofar, you are merely providing the sound like you're bringing someone a lulav. But the mitzvah only begins with the hearing. Two questions are raised on the Rambam. One of them is perhaps easier to deal with than the other. Firstly, <coughs> Mepharshim asks, can someone under bar mitzvah blow shofar for you? Can a child blow shofar for you? Some, some children can, can be very good at blowing shofar. Some of them never stop. And they could be very proficient in producing the sounds. The halacha, as we know, is no. Only someone who is over bar mitzvah can blow the shofar. And the question that Mepharshim asks on the Rambam is, why? If, according to Rambam, the mitzvah is to hear the sound. So whoever blows is providing you with the sound. He's not doing the mitzvah for you. 
You do the mitzvah by hearing. So what difference does it make who provides the sound? What difference does it make if the one who provides the sound is over bar mitzvah, under bar mitzvah? In the same way that a child can bring you your lulav and esrog, he can bring you your shofar sound to hear. Well, <coughs> in response to this, the Svasemes says that a, a halachic formulation, and the Svasemes is never easy to understand, even in halacha, the Svasemes says that as much as the mitzvah is to hear the sound, but it has to be what he calls a mitzvah sound. It has to be a kol shel mitzvah. It has to have achieved the grade of being a, a, a mitzvah sound produced how? By someone who themselves is chayev in mitzvahs. And that is why the, the one who blows needs to be at least bar mitzvah. So to put that into one sentence, what he's saying is, even though the mitzvah is to hear, and the listeners are doing the mitzvah by hearing, but the producer of the sound needs to be a bar mitzvah so that it becomes a mitzvah sound, that it has the status of what he calls kol shel mitzvah to be heard by others. Okay. That's the relatively easier question to ask, why the baltokeia needs to be over bar mitzvah. But the harder question to answer is as follows. <coughs> it's clear from the Gemara that the baltokeia needs to have the listeners in mind. He cannot just blow the shofar, and if you happen to hear the shofar, well, you, that's your good fortune. He needs to have the listeners in mind. Now, generally in Shul, and I think this is a Shiloh which came up a couple of years ago when Tkiah's shofar entered all sorts of interesting questions that it hadn't done for a while. Shofar typically is blown either in Shul or at home. If it's blown in Shul, the Baltokea naturally has all the listeners in mind. So that's all sorted out. If it's done at home, so then generally whoever hears is because they're invited. It became, I think, a bit more of a question a couple of years ago, especially during uh, uh, Corona, where chauffeurs were being blown all over the place in, in many different capacities, in many different locations. And a lot of people couldn't make it to Shul, but they may hear a chauffeur from next door. Uh, my own chauffeur blowing experience uh, two years ago, we were, I was on the Merpeset so that we could in people in my house, people, the neighbors. There were, two, there were two people gathered in the street. It was a kind of a whole triangulation. It was like a kibbutz golios of, uh, of chauffeur listeners. But what if someone else, unbeknownst to me, would, uh, would hear the sound? They would not be Yotze, because I do not naturally have them in mind. I have the people that I'm aware of in mind. And that brings us to, to the idea and emphasizes the point that you're only, you can only be Yotze by listening to the shofar, if the one who blows the shofar has you in mind. And the question is, why? If, as Rambam is saying, the mitzvah is to hear the shofar, so why should the one who blows the shofar need to have me in mind? Let him produce the sound, and then anyone who wants to, to, to hear, the sound is available, and they can come and hear. <coughs> and it is for this reason, and, and, and the discussion has been leading us to this point, it is for this reason that many Acharonim, Minchas Chinuch, Shagas Aryeh, Maram Chaviv, are of the are drawn to the conclusion that the mitzvah of shofar, in fact, 
is comprised, or more correctly, comprises two parts. There are two elements to the mitzvah. Sometimes you have that. Lulav and Esrik have four components. Lulav, Esrik, Hadassah, and Maravas. Shofar has two components, the blowing and the hearing. They are both essentially part of the mitzvah, or more correctly, part of the essential mitzvah. And uh, how, how do we see this? Because on the one hand, the Rambam demonstrated <clears throat> that if you blow the shofar but didn't hear, you haven't fulfilled the mitzvah. That tells you that hearing is essential to the mitzvah, hearing the sound. On the other hand, as we've seen, the one who blows needs to have you in mind. That tells us that the blowing is also an essential part of the mitzvah. But what about the Rambam's problem with the idea that the mitzvah could be blowing the shofar? After all, Rambam said, if it's to blow the shofar, everyone should need to blow for themselves. No one could do your mitzvahs for you. So if part of the mitzvah, or if the mitzvah, or even if part of the mitzvah is to blow the shofar, how can someone blow for you? They can't do your mitzvahs for you. So here, <coughs> Mepharshim respond that presumably what we see here is the mechanism that the Baltokea is motzi everyone in the, mitzvah, in, the, in the aspect of blowing the shofar. In truth, everyone needs to blow the shofar. When you listen to someone blow the shofar for you, so then that also is motzi in the mitzvah of blowing the shofar. In that respect, one could say it's very similar to hearing someone read the Megillah. After all, the mitzvah when it comes to Megillah is actually to read the Megillah. Not to hear, but everyone gathers to hear. How does that work? Because whoever reads the Megillah is motzi them in the mitzvah of reading the Megillah. So too, whoever blows the shofar is motzi the listeners in the mitzvah of blowing the shofar. It's a mechanism which is called shomea ka'one. By hearing, you are, you are yotze. What's interesting is, this is an unusual situation because he's not speaking. He's producing the sh- a sound with the shofar, and still we would say shomea ka'one. And perhaps <coughs> one, one might develop this idea just a little bit more. Because there's something, there's an aspect within the shofar which can perhaps uh, really be explained in this way. The bracha of shofaros concludes, right, the, 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 the concluding baruch of shofaros is baruch Hashem, shomea kol teruas amo Yisrael berachamim. That is the concluding part of the Shofaris Bracha in Musa. Hashem hears the truer sound of his nation, Israel, Berachamim, with mercy. And Rabbevel Soloveitchik, the Briskarov, <coughs> asked a simple question What is the meaning of saying that Hashem hears the, so- the Shofar sound with Rachamim? And, and the background to the question is blowing the Shofar, as far as we know, is a mitzvah. To perform a mitzvah gives you merit, it gives you schus, but it doesn't give you rachamim. We never say that Hashem sees the Jewish people eat matzah barachamim, or that he sees them wave the lulav and esrog barachamim, because those are mitzvahs, and mitzvahs give you merit, but rachamim is something else. Mercy is something else. Mercy is the response to a call for mercy, 
to a plea for mercy. Something has to evoke mercy. It can't just be a good deed. But really what that tells us is, says the Briskarov, that the blowing of the shofar is a call for mercy. Because the blowing of the shofar is actually a form of tefillah. It's a form of prayer. It doesn't have words because it's looking to express the things that we can't put into words. But it is no less a tefillah than if we would say, have mercy on us. And indeed, the idea that shofar as tefillah (laughs) will explain to us something that otherwise we might never really question. And that is, in addition to the initial shofar sounds, we then proceed to sound the shofar in the middle of Musaf. That is to say, in the middle of, sh- of, the, sh- of the Amida of Musaf. Now, if you're uh, Ashkenazi or Minag Ashkenaz, you, you are relatively sheltered in this respect because you have the shofar in the Chazan's repetition of Musaf, which is still Musaf, but it's the Chazan's repetition. But, but Minag Sfarad... Uh, Alpi, Arizal, etc. and so forth, they blow the shofar in the silent Amida. I mean, it's... Uh, how can it be? You're in the middle of davening, and all of a sudden you start doing this other thing. No one's saying that blowing the shofar is not a good thing. It's a very good thing, but you're in the middle of another good thing. You can't start doing everything at once. In the same way that we don't eat matzah in the middle of the Dishmanarisrei and, 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 and so on and so forth. So how then can we blow the shofar in the middle of Musaf? But the answer is because what are you doing when you're in Musaf? You're davening. And what are you doing when you blow the shofar? You're davening. So it, it is a synthesis of these two forms of tefillah, but it's the same thing. Which is an amazing way to think about it, because now when we say that the Baltokea, in a sense, he's like a shliach tzibur. He's, he's, he's making this shofar davening sound on behalf of everyone. But it certainly makes it easier to understand now how we could say that he's you, Because in the same way that he can be you in Kiddush, and he can be you in, in Megillah reading, he can be you in davening, so he can be you in a, it is essentially another form of davening. And that is how the Baltokea <coughs> is motzi everyone. But I think there's room to add one final point here and and, and I I believe it will really bring everything together one of the well known (coughs) sections of Gemara dealing with the Tefillah of Rosh Hashanah talks about the three ideas of Malchios, Zechronos and Shofaris Kingship, Remembrance and Shofar and the Gemara says as follows Omar HaKadosh Baruch Hu Hashem said Imru Lafonai Malchios Say before me, Malchios, Psukim of kingship, verses of kingship, in order that you will crown me upon, as king upon you. That's Malchios. Next, Say before me, verses of remembrance, so that your remembrance will come, will arise before me for the good. And then number three, Shofar, Ubama, and with what? Bashofar, with the shofar. So if we could summarize what the Gemara said, we have two concepts, kingship and remembrance. We say kingship, verses of kingship, 
to crown Hashem as king. We say verses of remembrance so that our remembrance will come up before Hashem for the good. And the Gemara wraps this all up by saying, and with what? With the shofar, <coughs> which on a simple level means the above two exercises, the above two goals are achieved or enabled with the shofar. That means that the shofar is the tool that facilitates kingship and the tool that facilitates remembrance. And now let us consider what does it mean for a person to, as, as Malchus itself, as the Gemara described, the idea of Malchus is to receive, that is to say, to accept. The goal is for you to, to hear it and absorb it and accept it and embrace it. So Malchus is about receiving. But Zichronos, what are we doing in the, in the world of remembrance? Producing. That is to say, we're producing a, a, a Zikaron, which should then, <coughs> should then uh, rise up before Hashem for the good. And now we understand why the mitzvah of Shofar comprises two parts, blowing and hearing. That is to say, producing and receiving. <coughs> because it's, it, it is achieving two things. One of them, Malchios, which is hearing the sound, so that we accept Hashem as, as Melech. And the second is Zichronus, producing the sound, which then arises before Hashem for good. So, uh, as I said, the, the, the themes of Shofar and the halachas of Shofar are so intimately bound up. And I think there's room to say just one more, just one more thing in this regard. For as we have seen, even as there are two parts to the mitzvah of shofar, the blowing and the hearing, one of these two parts is more equal than the other. And that is the hearing. The nusach of the bracha is lishmoa kol shofar. So the senior partner here is hearing, and the junior partner is the blowing. And why does seniority go to the hearing? Because hearing relates to malchios, receiving the sound and accepting the sound of malchios. Blowing relates to Zechronus, producing the remem- remembrance. The more we hear, the more the sound that we produce will arise for the good. After all, <coughs> what is remembrance? Why should Hashem remember us for the good? On what basis? The, 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 the processes of kingship and remembrance, they're not just two disconnected things. They're absolutely intertwined with each other because the extent to which we fulfill the first of receiving Hashem's kingship, is the extent to which our remembrance will go up for the good. And because remembrance is absolutely dependent on kingship, the kingship is the ikr, and that's why hearing the shofar, which is about hearing the sound of kingship, is the ikr. And uh, I believe that these are thoughts um, that are well worth uh, uh, contemplating, firstly to understand, as we always try to understand, the, 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 the conceptual makeup of the mitzvah, but just to see how much it, it goes hand in hand with what it is thematically that the mitzvah is looking to achieve. There is <coughs> a fascinating comment of the Pachad Yitzchak, of Rabbi Kutner, and he says this in explanation, he actually quotes the Maharal, and it's, it's one of those situations where Futner quotes the Maharal, but it's a good thing he did, because 
if you looked at the Maharal, you never would have seen what he saw. So uh, he, he's not just um, delivering you a quotation from Maharal. He's really explaining what the Maharal means to say. <coughs> but but, but, but what, what, what is the point? To appreciate the, the, the mitzvah of shofar. Normally we, we approach Rosh Hashanah looking to fulfill the mitzvah of shofar. It's worthwhile taking a moment to appreciate, in appreciation of the mitzvah of shofar. <coughs> and he draws our attention to an, an anomaly in the way that Rosh Hashanah is introduced in the Torah. We know that all the Yomim Tovim are all gone through uh, in Vayikra Perek Gimel, it's the leaning from often on Yom Tov at the beginning, Parshas uh, Emor, and it goes through all of them. Pesach, Shavuos, Rosh Hashanah, Yom Kippur, Sukkot. Says Maharal, as brought to us and explained by Pachad There is an anomaly when it comes to Rosh Hashanah. The Torah's watchword for a Yom Tov is Mikra Kodesh. Mikra Kodesh, however that's translated, a holy calling, a holy convocation, um, or as we say in English, Yom Tov. The Mikra Kodesh is the Torah's way of describing a Yom Tov. Says Rav Hutner, on each of the, of the, the Yomim Tovim, the first thing the Torah says is, on such and such a day, in such and such a month, it's a Mikra Kodesh, and then tells you what the mitzvahs are. So on the 15th of Nisan, it's a Mikra Kodesh, eat matzahs, and so on and so forth. <coughs> the exception to the rule is Rosh Hashanah. When it comes to Rosh Hashanah, it says on the first day of the seventh month, which is first of Tishrei, Zichron Trua Mikra Kodesh. A remembrance of Trua, in other words, which is another reference to the mitzvah of Shofar, Mikra Kodesh. Why does the, when it comes to Rosh Hashanah, why does the Torah give you the mitzvah first and then call it a Yom Tov second? Where with regards to all of the other Yom Tovim, it first and foremost says Mikra Kodesh. Says Maharal, <coughs> because of all the days that are called Yom Tovim, Rosh Hashanah is the least likely to receive that designation. After all, Rosh Hashanah is a day of judgment. Now, a, a day of judgment may be very important. It's many things, but it is not intuitively a Yom Tov. And that's a basic Shaila. It's easier to understand how Yom Kippur is a Yom Tov than Rosh Hashanah. Because at least on Yom Kippur, something good happens. You get Kapara. On Rosh Hashanah, what happens? You get judged. Who, wh- by what standard is that called a Yom Tov? But why is it a Yom Tov? It's called a Yom Tov because there's things that we can do to produce and, st- and steer the day towards a positive judgment. And first and foremost amongst them is the shofar. Because through the shofar, it's a day where we proclaim Malchus, and that itself leads our remembrance. And of course, we never refer in the davening to Rosh Hashanah as Yom Hadin. We always call it Yom HaZikaron, Yom, Yom, the day of, of remembrances. <coughs> But the shofar allows us to be remembered for the good. It's a way of, of bringing the day to a positive outcome. That's why it's a Yom Tov. But because it's the shofar that steers the day in this positive way, for which reason it's a Yom Tov in the first place, the Torah mentions the shofar before it calls it a Yom Tov. As if to say it's because of the shofar 
that this day is a Yom Tov. Because it's Zichron Trua, it is Mikra Kodesh. Now, of course, and once again, we see the world of thought and the world of Halacha meet. Halachically, Rosh Hashanah is a Yom Tov from Baruch Hu in the evening. From, from, from literally, from the first second. It, halachically, it's a Yom Tov. But atmospherically, it comes into its own as a Yom Tov from the time of blowing the shofar. And it, it, isn't it interesting, Min Yisrael, that in the evening, <coughs> on, on Rosh Hashanah evening, how do people greet each other? L'shana Tova, Tikosev, L'sichosev, right? it should be written, it should be inscribed. There, there is that pre-din feeling, and it's expressed in the blessing. What do people wish each other when they come out of shul on Rosh Hashanah day? Good Yom Tov. They don't say L'shana Tova Tikosev Chosev. That's what the Mishnah Bura said. It's two different blessings. And I think that's exactly the point. And happy is the person who really feels that the day has changed in this way. Whereas in the evening, we are in the shadow of, of, of the din. And if you wish anyone something, it should be a good din. Come out of shul, 12 o'clock the next day, or 1 o'clock, or whenever it is. What do you wish a person? Good yomta. Because, because that's, the, that's the, the color and the you that the, that the day has taken on. It's a very uh, profound, I believe, um, comment of the Imara. Just the final <coughs> item that I wanted to, to speak about relates to the concept of the individual and the community when it comes to Rosh Hashanah. <coughs> it's certainly interesting that in our prayers on Rosh Hashanah, there isn't much focus on the individual. Not really. It's very outward focused. It's about, it's about the Jewish people. <coughs> it's about Sadiqim. It's about the world. It's about the nations of the world. It's about everything. Everything except for us. And what we see is that, <coughs> and we know this to be so, the tzibur always has an outstanding quality that it has greater merit than individual. It's more than the sum of its parts. There is a concept called the tzibur, the Jewish community. That community itself has, has, is, is, the, is the recipient of, and, and possessor of outstanding merit. Individual, less so. And it's for this reason, <coughs> there was a, there was a, a well-known uh, statement of the Zohar HaKadosh, actually, that famous, um, that woman, the Shunammite woman, who, who extended hospitality to Elisha. This is described in the beginning of Malachim uh, Beis. So she, she and her husband had extended hosp- hospitality uh, towards him. And, and then <coughs> the Pasuk says, Vayehi hayom, it was on that day, whenever that is, uh, Elisha came and she, she gave him hospitality and he said, what can I do for you? Is there anything I can do for you? Can I speak to you for the king or, 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 or anything like that? And her response was, Besoch ami anuchi yosheves. No, I'm okay. I'm gonna, I'm fine. I'm just here with my people. No need for, for anything more. When was that day? Pasuk doesn't say. It just says, Vayihi hayom. But the Zohar Kodesh in Pashas Pinchas says that whenever <coughs> the, the, in Tanakh, we see the, the phrase, Vayihi hayom, it refers to the day. It refers to Rosh Hashanah. And what Elisha, 
was was offering to do for this woman when he says can, what can i do for you can i can i speak to, uh, on your behalf to the king means can i speak on your behalf to the king capital k that is to say can i plead for you uh, 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 to towards and she declined and she said no I, I take my place amongst the Jewish people. <coughs> and by declining his offer, what she's saying is she doesn't want to be presented as an individual, even with an individ- as an individual with the endorsement and prayers of Elisha Hanavi. She, she'd much prefer, rather, to be, to be together with the Jewish people. She, 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 she feels that would be more, she'll, she'll be more successful in that way. And this now becomes the concept of, um, of the power of the tzibur and to, and to connect with the tzibur. There is a, a fascinating, uh, it's a short comment of Meshachachma, I think it's in Parshas Tzav. And as we know, he's, he's, he's no stranger to, to looking at things somewhat differently than, than other people. Part of one of the, the, the good practices that, that people undertake as, as, the, as we get near to Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur, certainly in the Seris Yom is, is to give more tzedakah, like we say, the tshuva, tvila, tzedakah, to give more tzedakah. Why do people uh, give more tzedakah during these days? So I think the answer maybe is uh, self-evident, uh, to increase merit. After all, the more tzedakah you give, the more merit you have, and I, I presume that's the simple answer. But the Meshachachma says no. Meshachachma says the reason why people give and invest in giving tzedakah during these days is because whatever you invest in, you become a part of. Which means if you give to the Jewish people and you invest in the Jewish people, you become part of the Jewish people. And everyone needs to become part of the Jewish people and, 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 and solidify and develop and deepen the, 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 their connectivity with the Jewish people. That's what happens. When you give, you join. And you, and you join the Jewish people. That's where you want to be during these days. And this it can express itself in a couple of ways. After all, what does it mean to, to, you know, to be with the tzibur in that way? The, there's a very interesting... Uh, it's a halachic discussion, actually, but you see, you see what comes out. The Shulchan Aruch says, you know, if... If, if you add prayers for an individual, so you shouldn't pray at length. In other words, you know, it's one person, and uh, you know you can say whatever it is, make a mishabayruch or something like that. But that, that's as far as it goes. However, it's recorded in the Mokan Avram that when the great Maharil Rabbi Yaakov Molin read the great uh, late uh, Ashkenazi Risha. When he was uh, unwell, so in the Ashkenazi Kehillas, they, they said slichas for him. I don't know if that means that they composed new slichas, especially, quote-unquote, for the occasion, or, 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 or they used existing slichas, but one thing's for sure, they did not hold back. They did not err on the side of brevity. They went barichus. But how do, how do we square that with the idea that if you're davening for an individual, you keep it brief? Says the Magen Avram, <coughs> the reason why they davened at such length for the Magen Avram, even though he's only one person, 
is because the whole community needed him. He's the leader of the community. And because the whole community needs him, he, 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 he's just one person, but he has the status of Tzorchit Sibur. Imagine such a thing. One individual, but he's needed by the community. And therefore, his needs are the needs of the community. And therefore, if you would, if you would daven barichus for, for the Tzibur, you can daven barichus for, for an individual like that. And what that tells us is that the more a person is of service to the tzibur, and the more a person devotes themselves and gives themselves over to the needs of the tzibur, the more that person themselves has, has the, the merits of the tzibur and the status of a tzibur to a certain degree, which is a fascinating idea. And it's for this reason, Reb Simcha Zissel of Kelm, the great Talmud of Rabbi Sosalanta, the altar of Kelm, <coughs> Reb Simcha Zissel, his... Uh, advice to, to his students and to his balabatim and to, to those who, uh, who inquired of him, what should a person do during these days? His, his response was, make yourself of use to the Jewish people. Because then you attach yourself and, 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 and even as one person, you're looked upon with the way that, that a community is looked upon. And there is, there is a little more when it comes to this idea of the individual and the community. And it comes out from a very interesting uh, discussion in the Gemara. The Gemara says the community has more merits, well, as we know, than the individual. And the way that it expresses itself is even, even if a, a, a decree has, a divine decree has already been passed, the, individual, the, the community can rescind it. Individual, not so easy. But the, but the community can rescind it. But then the Gemara asks the Kasha. And the Kasha is from what's called the, the Pasuk and Tehillim, which is called Yorde Hayam. Yorde Hayam, it's, it's in that Perik and Tehillim, I think it's Kofhei or Kofvav, where it goes through those who go by sea, those who go by the desert, those who go by uh, uh, etc. and so forth. And, and, and when it comes to Yorde Hayam, <coughs> so it, and, and there's a storm, and the way the Gemara has, has a tradition that what the Pasuk means to say is that if a decree has already been sealed, it's not going to, so then nothing will help. Nothing will help. But the Gemara asks, why not? There could be a lot of people on the boat. And if there are a lot of people on the boat, so then that's a Tzibur. We just said that the power of Tzibur, of community, can revoke a decree even when it's already been done. So how come in that, in that uh, boat case... If there's a decree, it's too late. Why is it too late? There could be a whole community there. And the Gemara gives <coughs> a very cryptic answer. Cryptic and brief. They're like individuals. And the Gemara didn't explain why. Why are they like individuals? After all, there could be a lot of them. There could be dozens and maybe hundreds of them. Who knows? So why do we say they're like individuals? The Sokhachev Rebbe, the Shemishmuel, says... The reason why the Gemara says <coughs> they're like individuals is because it is only natural that if you have a boat, let's say, with 100 people and the boat is in trouble, each of those 100 people is praying, but they're praying for themselves. The definition of Tzibur is not just that you are geographically in proximity to other people, but you have the welfare of more than just yourself at heart. You have the welfare of those in the community at heart. 
you, 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 it's considered a tzibur when the tzibur is together in the sense that they're not only praying together, but also for each other. And that tends not to be true, says Shemi Shmuel. If the ship is going down, it's every man for themselves. There's a reason why they say that. And it's true uh, experientially as well. And what, the, and what the Gemara is telling us, according to the, according to the Shemi Shmuel, is that in order to partake of the merit of the community, one should have the welfare of the community at heart. And, and it's, it's such a profound lesson because it's very easy. I mean, Rosh Hashanah, certainly Yom Kippur, but even Rosh Hashanah these days <coughs> can very easily become, I would say, quite, quite personal days. And they, and they are, but, but, but they're not just personal days. It's very easy for a person to, to, to turn up in shul and, and, and be there for, from beginning to end. But his thoughts are on his needs, not a thought for the person, not to the right, not to the left, and certainly not beyond. But that's, that's an individual davening in shul. Because the Gemara says you're part of the community if you're, if you're praying for the welfare of the community, not at your expense, not instead of you, but at least in addition to you, or perhaps ideally better as part of you. And here we see once more that, that, that the, what it means to be a community is for people to have to be looking out for each other. We mentioned, I think it can't be too long ago, <coughs> that, that classic story worthwhile, worthwhile mentioning. Again, in this context, of Rebbez Yudha Finkel, the, the Rosh Hashiva of Mir, where uh, he had funds that were allocated or, or were available for, for allocating for the Bachrim. Uh, pocket money, they didn't, uh, these were the days when the Yeshiva paid the Bachrim. I mean, those, those days are no longer. But uh, <coughs> at the time came, by Hiyayo, and uh, a Bachrim came, a, a delegation, they, they felt they needed more money, not for luxuries, but because that, you know, they felt that they, they just needed a little bit more. And therefore, they, the, 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 the Bachrim came and asked the Rosh Hashiva and says, the Rosh Hashiva have any more money? And he said, yes, but it's not for you right now. I need it for other things. There's other things going on in the Yeshiva, and therefore it's not available to give to you, so I'm not giving it to you. They didn't get their raise. But being a literacy yeshiva, <coughs> they didn't back down. And in fact, one of the Bukhrim persisted. And he said, actually, the Rosh Hashiva is obligated to give us the money. How so? Halachically obligated. <laughs> Where's the halacha here? So the Bukhrim explained to himself. He said, the halacha states that in, this, in ever, if there's a dispute between the individual and the many, the halacha follows the many. Yachid v'rabim, halacha karabim. You have one person disputed by many, the halacha follows the many. So he said, the Rosh Hashiva is, is greater th- th- than we are, but he's one person. And we're the many. So the halacha is like us. And, and so the Rosh Hashiva is chayev to give us the money. So instead of you know, sending them for corrective uh, musr therapy or... or uh, uh, middos uh, rebalancing or, or whatever else Rav Lezer Yudha Finkel did not uh, he didn't miss a beat he said actually that's not true in fact it is the opposite of the truth and I'll tell you why it's true I'm just one person and there's 50 of you but I dare say that each of you when they're asking for a raise is only really asking for themselves that means that there's 50 of you, but you're 50 individuals. 
I'm just one person, but I'm keeping the money for something which is a benefit to the entire yeshiva. And that means that you are the individuals, I'm the rab, I'm the majority, and the halachas like me. And this was in, in that uh, episode really um, b- bearing out this idea, which is such a, uh, it could be a transformational idea. And, and the truth is, I think this will explain to us what, what we could call one of the, the watchwords of the davening on Rosh Hashanah. And that is the word uvechen. And it's very interesting because it's really the word uvechen that's, that, that, that's the first new word. In other words, uh, uh, the, 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 the basic text of Shemana Yisrael has been Malkin Avram, Mechai HaMesim, and then, we, get, then we, we open the new section with, with uvechen. But what does uvechen mean? Uvechen means and, and so, or and thus, and so. It's a very, when you think about it, it's not an intuitive way to open a sentence, and so. It almost sounds like a, a, a word of conclusion. And so, you, you end something by saying, and so, no, you don't end start. We do it because we're used to it, because we get it from here. But if you'd imagine that we'd never heard it, whoever starts a paragraph with the words, and so. Where does it come from? So the Abu Dram, who, who, who has his monumental commentary on the, on the Siddur, Rabbi David Abu Dharam, <coughs> so he says, and, and part of what he, what he wrote his commentary to do is to show how the text of the Tefillah is so closely modeled on Psukim in Tanakh. That's really, that, that, that is an ongoing theme with him. And, and therefore, says the, says the Abu Dharam, you know why we start with the word Ovechen? Where does it come from? It comes from Esther. It comes from Megillas Esther, because she, what did she say? Uvechein avoel hamelech ashelo kadas, and and thus I will come before the king, even though I don't deserve it or it's not lawful or whatever. So that's really what we're looking to do, says the Avodah. We're we're all looking to approach the king, perhaps ashelo kadas, perhaps undeservedly, but that's how that's how that's how she launched her. Her, 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 her uh, trip to the king, and, and, and that we do likewise with the word uvechen. So says Abu Dhar. I think there's room to add one point here, which is as follows. Rabbi Azaria Fijo, one of the great Italian darshanim of the 1500s, is Drosha's Bina Le'itim. He takes us into, into Esther's words, and, and, and draws out something which, which can change the way we look at that entire... Because what is she saying? She's saying, I want everyone to fast because we're all in trouble, so three-day fast, and that's really what Esther is saying. But she said much more than that. Because she said, go gather all the Jews in Shushan, v'tsumu alai, and fast for me. What does she mean by saying fast for me? <coughs> what she means is that... Esther, until this point, was not in trouble. No one knows she's Jewish, or no one knows who's going to say anything and knows she's Jewish. Achashverosh doesn't know. The Jewish people are in trouble. She's not in trouble. But now she's putting herself in, in, in danger by going to the king. So everyone has a concern. The, what is the Jewish people's concern? Haman's decree. What is Esther's concern? Achashverosh might kill her. They both have issues. And what does Esther say? I want you to get everyone to fast, but tell them to fast for me. And what does she mean by that? She means if everyone just fasts for themselves, for their own troubles, we haven't really solved the problem. We're, we're just bringing it into the solution. 
Because the problem, as the Mepharshim explained there, Mefuzar or Mefurad, each man for themselves, no one's looking out for the other. So we got into trouble because no one thinks about anyone else. So if everyone just fasts, but they're still not thinking about everyone else, we haven't solved the problem. And therefore, says Esther, tell them to set their troubles aside for once and, and fast because of someone else's troubles. Vitsumu alai. And then she says, And you know what? Me and my girls, right, my team, we will fast Cain. Likewise. Meaning, our, our thoughts during our own fast for three days will be similar to you. Just like you set your troubles aside to fast, we'll be fasting for you. I'm not going to be thinking about myself. I'm, I'm headed potentially to be killed, just as you are. But I'm thinking about, about you. And what's the next word? Uvechein. Uvechein avol That's That is how we'll be able to approach the king. Thinking about not just ourselves, but also someone else. And, and when you think about it, <coughs> you look at all of, this, all of these paragraphs which start uvechein. They're all about someone else. They're about the entire world. They're about, they're about the, the, the Jewish people who, who need respect, who need honor, the, the entire Jewish people. They, they are suspected of everything. They're vilified for, for everything. They can, they can do no right, and then everything they do right is, is wrong. It's... it's, it's uh, Impossible to explain, because it's it's memshelas zada, and therefore uvechein sadikim uvechein tin kavod laamecha simcha laatzecha sason leirecha. All of these things we, we're thinking in in broader terms than our own personal things, and that's why. And what allows us to do so? Because we're being like Esther in that respect, and that's why we borrow her word when she says, "If people think beyond themselves, they're able to approach the king, even if they themselves are not maybe so personally worthy and deserving." And that is exactly how we do as well. <coughs> we should all uh, merit to, to play our role in pleading the case of the Jewish people uh, as a whole for 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 simcha laatzecha, sason until. Uh, we share our zocha to have a wonderful year ahead, headed ever decisively more towards the Geula. I wish you all a ksiva vechasima tova. We will meet again, mitz Hashem, in two weeks' time. All the best. Shalom, 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 shalom